Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We're honored that you're here, and we pray that you find this message both encouraging and inspiring. This is our last week of our series, Jesus and Money. How many of you have enjoyed this series? It's one of my favorite things to talk about, um, my favorite things to preach about. I don't know why. Probably because it's like really controversial <laughs> in most churches and it's not in ours and that just makes it my favorite. Um, but I'm going to finish up this morning that, Jansen. Like that, Jansen. I mean, you may stay up here the whole time if you ain't careful. Um, I want to start this morning in John chapter 12, and I'm going to read just a couple scriptures for us this morning, and then we are going to talk about them, and then we're going to give in our Live to Give offering. Yes, super excited about that. I really am. It's It may be one of my favorite things. Everybody has their favorite thing that we do at Hope Unlimited. And I think maybe our Friendsgiving is my second favorite, and then Live to Give offering is probably my favorite. Um, it's just part of who I am. It's part of who our church is, and we get to really come together and give on today, every year, and just express our gratitude for God of all of he's done over the past year. So um, John chapter 12, I'll start reading in verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared for Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume and made from essential nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with a fragrance. The house was filled with a fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who soon betrayed him, said, I want you to pay attention right here. This is very important. That perfume was worth a year's wages. Should it not have been sold and given to the poor? Listen, not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and he was in charge of the disciples' money, and he often stole some for himself. Don't you love how John just calls people out in his gospel? Like, he calls people out on this, like, like, Everything they do wrong, when him and Peter are running to the tomb, it's like, I beat Peter to the tomb. I just want you to know that I was faster than Peter. And then Judas, he's like, he was a thief. Like, he kept the money. He was a thief. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. But Judas, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, The perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. 
Not that he cared for the poor. He was just a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I pray that it would penetrate our hearts today. God, and I pray that we would have a revelation of what it means to be an extravagant giver this morning. And that you would bless us. You would see our hearts today. And you would receive this offering this morning as an act of sacrifice, as an act of obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Jansen, you good, dog. We'll let you get down. Everybody give it up for Jansen. Also, Jordan hit a guitar solo this morning in King of My Heart that made me very happy. Um, I just wanted to announce that to the room before we get started. It wasn't that it was an extra anointed moment or anything like that. I just like guitar solos, and it was just my personal preference. So, um, and it was anointed, but it was my but it was my preference more than anything. <laughs> I prefer a guitar solo in every worship song. See, Wes, we're gonna get something going here before long. Um. Anyways, I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you around the subject, a heart of extravagance, a heart of extravagance. Um, in this passage of scripture that I read this morning, we kind of pick up right after one of Jesus' most or more notable miracles that he did throughout his gospel. It's it's when he raised Lazarus from the dead. We kind of pick up on the tail end of that story and. Martha and Mary are in the house with Lazarus now, and Jesus was patiently coming to Bethany, and he finally shows up. Lazarus had been dead, and he finally shows up and does a miracle. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Mary and Martha both pray that Jesus would come. Jesus takes his sweet time, shows up, and raises Lazarus from the dead, and we pick up with this just kind of thing that happens with Mary. This is not like just a, oh, we just have this in the text here for observation. There is something incredibly powerful if you can lean into this, just these few passages of Scripture about Mary's heart posture after this happened. Jesus is there. Everything is fine. Everything's wonderful. Lazarus is now no longer dead, right? Could you imagine like somebody being actually dead in the grave, Jesus showing up, and it's just kind of like now he's eating dinner, right? Now he's eating dinner. I would just, yeah, I mean, I would have a lot, I would have a lot of questions, honestly. <laughs> I think in this moment, like you have to see that this was a very like, celebratory moment, right? If your brother was dead or if someone that you loved was dead and Jesus shows up and raises them from the dead and now y'all are eating dinner together, what does that look like? I think Mary gives us a really, really good example. And if you can be like completely honest with yourself, it may not be raising someone physically from the dead, but you can put yourself into this story. 
Jesus has showed up for you before. Jesus has showed up for you before when it looked like that he wasn't going to show up. Jesus has showed up for you before when you maybe even least expected him to show up. Those are the most fun times when God shows up, when you least expected to. And I think we see here from Mary that Mary could have just been very casual about this. She could have just been very excited. She could have been very happy. But there was a response to God's presence in this moment. There was a, there was a, a heart posture that was just extravagant in this moment. You know, this, this says here that this was worth, Mary had this cologne, perfume, that was worth a year's salary. So just say $60,000, $70,000. Some of you college students are like, amen. <laughs> You're like, amen, next year. Yeah, Amen. <laughs> But just say sixty, seventy thousand dollars, and it's just sitting there. And Mary says, "I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to break this over Jesus' feet, and I'm going to wash his feet with it, because the only proper response to God showing up is extravagance. The only proper response." Can I tell you something about our worship culture here at Hope Unlimited? The only proper response in worship to God is extravagance. The only proper response to the presence of God in this room on a Sunday is extravagant worship. It's a heart totally abandoned, totally open to do whatever he would like to do. Do you know like a lot of times, like I have been on staff at churches, I have preached at churches, and I'm thankful for all of those, but like, you know, we have a set list here, but, and we kind of have a, a gauge of kind of what we're going for to move on with service, but uh, we never hit that, hardly ever, hardly ever, because if God is doing something in a moment, the only thing that we are interested in is giving people the opportunity to ex- respond to that in a way that would transform their heart. And one of the things that you can pick up from this passage of Scripture here is that when God shows up, there is something that happens when you have a heart that wants to extravagantly pour yourself out for him in worship. This offering to Jesus in this passage of Scripture was an act of worship. Doesn't Miss Karen sing that song about alabaster box or something like that? I can't. Katie can get up and acapella this. Or I can acapella this. Y'all better vote Katie. Y'all better veto me. Y'all better vote Katie. Let me tell you something. I can't remember if it was last week or whatever. But there was a moment when, like, it was Brandon. Because I remember I was like, I'm going to talk to him about this after service. Brandon all of a sudden stops singing in the mic and lets us sing. You know what that exposes? How bad I can sing. It's what it reveals to me. I need that speaker blaring into my voice, drowning out my vocal projection with some beautiful voice. But he stopped singing last week, and I'm like, what in the world? I cannot sing a lick. 
You know what's bad when you hear yourself sing and you're just like, I cannot sing at all. What's even worse is when you can't sing at all and you think you can sing. That's really, really bad. And then your parents just didn't have the heart to tell you. It's like, hey, we, if you want to be musical, let's get you a drum set or a guitar. Or get you lessons with Jansen. You can't sing, dog. <laughs> Listen, you can see yourself in this story, in Mary's position, if you will just see yourself there. What has God done for you? What has he done for you? All of the things that he's done for you. What has he done for you? And you can see yourself sitting in Mary's position. And for her, in this moment, it was everything. And I think most of the people in this room, your response would be, he's done everything. He's done everything for me. Even if things didn't look like the way that you wanted them to look, in his goodness, he is still turning everything that seemingly was bad and making it good. He is still, he is still good despite there being evil in the world. He is still good. One of the hardest things that we, I think, one of the hardest things for people to comprehend, it's, this, it's simply this. God is good, and he is nothing but good. There's no dark side to him. The Bible says, in him is light, and there is no darkness at all. There's no bad side to God. And one of the things that I think that we have a hard time understanding is when we go through crisis, when we go through things, when life happens, we have a hard time comprehending the goodness of God because we can't see it right now. Here is, here is what I, I, I've often done when I have a hard time seeing the goodness of God. I go back and I listen to stories from people that I know who have been through situations in their lives that are horrific. And I listen to them talk about the goodness of God. And that, makes, that gives me a heart check to say, even though that my heart is not in the right place right now, even though that my mind is wandering a thousand different directions, even though I can't really comprehend all that's going on in my life, I do have these stories and I have these, I have these markers in my life that I can point to and I can say, this was the goodness of God. And listen, you have markers in your life that you can point to and say, this is the goodness of God. So, Mary's response in the moment was extravagance. This is what, this is what um, Webster's says extravagance means. You know, not the Greek lexicon or anything like that. This is Webster's Dictionary. Extravagant. Exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate. Absurd. Exceeding what is reasonable 
or appropriate or absurd. A heart that is extravagant serves God without the concept of there being other things that are kind of in the way. It serves God without reason. A heart that is extravagant serves God without this being culturally acceptable. It serves God in a way that is absurd. One of the things about following Jesus, if you look in the New Testament, one of the things that you can see about following Jesus is that everyone had to lay something of significance down in order to follow Jesus. And let me, let me say this. It wasn't because they couldn't follow him if they didn't lay it down. It was that he was offering a life that was more significant than the thing that they were holding so close to their hearts. Peter laid down a professional fishing career. Bass Pro Shops. <laughs> a professional fishing career. Wealth that you could think of for years laid this down to follow Jesus. Not You think there, there has to be something. You're talking about Jesus. And I'm about to ruin some of your guys' picture of Jesus. Jesus is not did not look like he looks in Passion of the Christ, okay? Nobody was 6'4 back then and shredded. Shredded. Most people believe Jesus was about 5'8 or 5'9. Is a little bit overweight. Yes, amen. People ask me what I'm doing with my diet trying to look more like Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. You know he got accused of being a glutton all the time. What do you think, it's because he's skinny? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You think it's because he was small? That people are like, Jesus is a glutton. It's like, no, nobody ever says that. But Jesus was this guy who wasn't visibly very attractive. It didn't, it, he, wasn't, he wasn't this, you know, six foot three Ken doll leader. He was just a dude who was obedient to his father. And there was, and there was a group of people who saw him and they saw something about him that says, I'll give up my entire life to follow this person. And Mary did the same thing, I mean, in many different ways, right? Mary gave up her entire life to follow Jesus, too. She was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. And, but more than just giving up her life, she continually offered things that were significant to God. A year's salary, that's pretty significant. Pretty significant. She continually offered those things to God. And I think there's some things that you can just kind of see and you can kind of lean into when you have a heart of extravagance. And I just asked the Holy Spirit just to help me write some of this stuff so um, I didn't rip this off YouTube or anything, but um, one of the things that I do 
And really, when I was thinking about giving my live to give offering, I was thinking about all the things that it was going to do in me when I give hours in, in just a minute with the rest of everybody else, what it was going to do in me. And this is the first thing that I think it'll do. It's going to make you thankful. It's going to make you thankful. This offering, this live to give offering, is more than just us saying thank you. It's more than us just saying thank you. I want you to think about this. Jesus was having a conversation with the Pharisees once, and he said this, You serve me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You serve me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Think about this for a second. Jesus also said this, Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. How do you make sure that your heart stays close to Jesus? You give him your treasure. How do you make sure that you're not just serving God with your lips? You give him things that are valuable to you. That is how you know. Listen, there's, I say this all the time. I hear two stories in church about giving. Those who don't and those who do. And the, the stories that I hear about those who give are way better stories than about the ones who don't. And I'm not saying that to throw shame at anyone this morning. I'm not saying that to bring condemnation to anyone this morning. But I'm telling you, part of walking this life with God is trust. And it's faith. I remember Emily shared a story one time that she was there believing God for a car. And one of the things that she started doing, I hope you're fine with me sharing this. You shared it up here, so, uh, yeah. Believing God for, with a car, yeah. Believing God for a car. And what she started doing was, is she knew, they knew about around the payment that that would be. And they just started sowing that into the church. And it was like a few months later, you guys got this car that you were believing for. And there's a part of that that takes faith. Part of giving is faith. It's trust. And do you want me to tell you the reason why some of you don't trust God? Because you don't believe he's good. The reason why you don't trust God is because fundamentally you do not think that he is good. The reason why some of you do not trust God is because you do not view him correctly. You have not seen him correctly yet. And you do not believe that he's good. One of the things that I have just seen over and over and over in my life is that I've seen the goodness of God, number one. And when you see the goodness of God over and over and over and over again, all that does is build your faith and build your trust in God. I shared that word this morning, have I not brought you thus far? Felt like I heard the Lord say that this morning. I, so, I, the first time that I... I, I was reminded of that word, but I felt like I was supposed to share it this morning. The first time I ever got that word was in 2014. And I was in this youth building sitting on this wall, 
um, I had just went through a very, very, very difficult situation. And my youth pastor's wife walks up to me. And she says, have I not brought you thus this far? And it began just to remind me of all of the good that God had done for me. All of the situations that seemingly looked like Mary's situation with Lazarus that God stepped into and changed. And in that moment of really despair and not really knowing what I was going to do with my life for the rest of my life, I just responded in gratitude. And something changed in me in that moment. And I began to have this thankful heart. And it was because I had seen the goodness of God. I had seen God show up in my current situation, in my current circumstance. And when he did that, the only response I had was extravagance. It was, I see you, and I'm going to respond to you now in worship. I'm going to give of my finances, of my resources. I didn't just want to be another dude that served God with his lips and not with his heart. We have to be people who say, Jesus, you have more than just my words. You have my heart. Um, Mary attached something to her thanks, right? Mary just didn't say, God, thank you for raising Lazarus from the dead. She attached something to it. She said, because you've raised Lazarus from the dead, I want to pour out this vial of oil that's worth a year's salary onto your feet, and I want to thank you. We have to attach something to our thankfulness to God. This is what really Live to Give is about more than anything. It's about creating a a heart that is just thankful for all that God has done. This is why we do it in this season, right? Because in this season, how many of you know that greed just tears people apart, man? I was I was getting my hair cut um, recently, and you know, every time you get your hair cut, I don't know if this is just because I'm a pastor, but I try not to talk. Okay, I go to sports clips because there's TVs. And I hope that they just are just like, hey, man, he's watching the football game. I'm just going to leave him alone. And every single time I go, a conversation gets struck up. And I went recently, and they were talking about all the money they were having to spend on Christmas and all of this. And this, this lady was just talking, and um, she was talking about how they felt the need to buy all of this stuff. And I just, like... There, there was no judgment in my heart at all. Actually, my first response was, is like, I wish that like I was in the place where I can just say like, hey, how much is, how much is this going to cost you this year? Because I'm just going to pay for all of it. That's where I wish that I was. But I saw this, I saw money consuming this lady. It consumed her. And the only thing that I could think of in my mind was that not, well, is she tithing and going to church? That was not it. That was not it. It was not, well, I bet she ain't giving. That was not it. I would just say, I wonder if someone ever taught her that, like, the solution to all of this 
is to not value it this much. The solution to all of this is to not value it this much. She was talking about getting Christmas presents for family members that she hasn't seen in 10 years. I'm like, bro, I didn't get Christmas presents for family members I saw this year. It's like, I am the gift, you know. Lay up under the tree. Yeah. We are the gift. What did, what? I did buy Christmas presents for, for my parents, and one of my friends with, was with me. And when I went to buy them, Yarver uh, bought those wooden wick candles. They're expensive. They're expensive. I like, got to the checkout, and they were like, it'll be $102. I'm like, for what? And they were like, these candles. I was like, all right, well, it's in the budget. This will be what they get for Christmas. They got a candle and a bag of coffee in the budget. They said they like candles. You got the best one, right? But one of the things that a, a heart of extravagance, one of the things it does, it makes you thankful. And what you, once you begin getting thankful, all that produces in you is this, this desire and this want to be more extravagant. When you think about all that God's done for you, it produces this desire and this want just to be more extravagant. The second thing that I think having an extravagant heart does is it, it's a rebuke to selfishness. It's a rebuke to selfishness. In this passage of Scripture, listen to this. I want you to just pay very close attention here. Jesus was honored that Mary would give him an offering. And the only person that was worried about that offering was Judas. Judas was the person concerned when he saw a heart of extravagance. Because the heart of selfishness will always critique the heart of extravagance. The heart of selfishness will always fight against the extravagant nature that you and I are called to live with. You know, there's always in every situation an opportunity to be selfish. Have you ever thought about that? Well, there we go. In every situation, there is always an opportunity to be selfish. There's, there's always an opportunity, though, to also take whatever is going on within your heart, that selfish nature that's going on within you, that selfishness that rises up in you in whatever moment that you're in, and there's an opportunity to fight against that with giving. You see two hearts here. The heart of Judas and the heart of Mary. The heart of Judas always, always has something to say when someone offers something to the Lord that makes them a bit uncomfortable. The heart of Judas is the heart that critiques people in worship. Well, they lift their hands or they're too loud or whatever. 
right? Now, there's some things that happen in worship services in Pentecostal churches that are just weird, okay? Just weird. I'm not critiquing it. I'm just never going to do it. So do not, do not ask me to be slapped in the face with a piece of carpet or anything like that. You think I'm joking. Yeah, I'm not joking. I, I, am a, I, am a, I have been slapped with a piece of carpet from Brownsville Assembly of God, okay? I'm not joking. If I get slapped again, maybe revival will break out. Who knows? <laughs> Judas always has something to say about extravagance. Judas, all, I want you to just let this seek in really deep. Judas always has something to say about extravagance. And can I like, can I tell you something as bad as you may not want to admit this? You have some Judas in you. All of us have Judas in us in some sort of way. And we are always, always having to fight that within us. Listen, Jesus' rebuke to Judas was not because he didn't care for the poor. It was because he was greedy. Right? Jesus cared for the poor. He wasn't saying don't care for the poor. He was telling Judas to stop being greedy. Listen, this passage of Scripture, it just talks about how Judas, like he kept the money of the disciples, so he like took some for himself every now and then. Listen, you keep God's money. Every dime that you have is God's. The Bible says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of the earth is the Lord's. Every dime that you have is God's. And you may not go by and take money out of the offering plate like Judas, but you may withhold it in giving, in tithing, and in offering. And that's the same thing, man. You don't go up and just take it out of the plate. You just withhold it. Do you know... One of the things, you know, like, will a man rob God, the Malachi verse that we, we use to say that tithing is still a thing or whatever. One of the things that, I, I, I'll go way deeper than that. You do not rob God by just not giving. The Bible says this, how you care for the least of these is how you care for me. We rob God when we don't give to the poor. When we see Jesus in the face of the poor in this city, that's how we know that there's work to be done. I have dreams and dreams and dreams and dreams and dreams of what I would do with millions and millions and millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. If you come and met with me and you're like, Cole, if someone handed you about $10 million, what would you do? I could tell you what I would do. Right? Because I'm prepared for God to bless us in that way. And one of the things that we would do is, is we would make sure that the poor that we know are cared for. Listen, the church is not called to be the rich people in the castle. The church is called to be the generous people in the neighborhoods. The church, listen... 
if we never have a building that is 50,000 square feet, who cares? My God. We're so ate up with the spirit of competition in church. It is so strange. Who cares if there's never a giant building? Who cares if you never impress all of your pastor friends? If you have to impress them for them to be your friends, they ain't your friends. They just want you to come preach every now and then and give you an offering so that you can invite them and then you give them an offering. The people, the people that I am friends with in ministry were friends with me before I could ever do anything for them. And I was friends with them before they could ever do anything for me. Right? We're going to be a church that cares for the poor. We're going to be a church that continually fights selfishness. You know, one of the things that I am most... I, I was kind of worried about... Um, not the finances of the church, but um, this is kind of a, a, a just a, me being vulnerable in this moment. I was like, man, we're sure giving a lot of money away. And our bank account could be a lot bigger right now if we just wouldn't give so much. And I just felt like the most gentle rebuke, like from the Lord. And I heard the Lord say this, unless the Lord builds the house... Those who labor, labor in vain. That's Psalm 27. And this is, I just heard the Lord say, I want you to meet every need that you can meet. And that's what we're committed to do at Hope Unlimited. It's what we're committed to. We're going to meet every need that we can meet. We're going to be sure that we take care of the people in this room, and we're going to be sure that we take care of the people out of this room. We're going to be sure that there's a place provided for people to worship. We're going to be sure that there's a great kids department and, and staff at this church to, if you are going through a terrible time, that you know, we, can, we can make sure that you have someone to talk to, to sit with, to, to get counseling from. We're going to make sure that every dollar that we spend is being spent best, right? That's one of the things that I think I love most about this turn that our church has taken maybe in the past year and a half or two years. It's like, I have friends who I'm like, if I gave you $40,000, what would you spend money on? And they just list off all of this, I mean, unnecessary stuff. If I gave you $40,000, what would you spend money on? And I'm like, you can spend it on anything. And it's just this stuff, I mean, random stuff, super random stuff. Like, I'm not talking about, like, equipment or anything like that. I'm not talking about equipment. I'm not talking about projectors. I'm not talking about screens. I'm just talking about this super random stuff that they would spend money on that I'm just like, have you ever just asked God what he would like you to spend the money on that he gives you in your church? One of the things that we do here, or I do, is that, like, before we spend money, like, I have to feel right about it in my spirit. Like, if we need something new, I need to feel right about it. Or if someone comes and says, we need $10,000 for this, if we have a financial board here, 
If I go to them and I say, hey, this is what we're wanting to give, if they approve that, we write the check, man. We are always trying to fight selfishness within us through giving as a church. We make sure that we have the things that we need. The last thing, last thing, a heart of extravagance is just generous. You can come on up, Jansen. A heart of extravagance is just generous. You're just a giver. You just give. You know that giving in the Bible is not a, it's not like something that you have to be gifted to do. It's just something that you can or you can't do. You don't have to be gifted to give. You don't have to be rich to give. You don't have to be poor to give. You don't have to be anything but alive to give. You don't have to be anything but alive to give. And this is, this is Live to Give Sunday at Hope Unlimited. That's part of our mission statement. We live to give. We live to give. We offer our lives as a laid down sacrifice to God. And we don't just say that with our lips. We mean that from our hearts. You know, I believe that generosity is a value of not just the person of Jesus, but also the New Testament. It's also a value of Hope Unlimited. We believe in generosity. And um, giving in this offering today, I think we are just putting, can I just say it like I, I feel it this morning? I think we're just putting our money where our mouth is. I think we're just putting our money where our mouth is. And I think that's just a good way to put it. And I think we all need to do that from time to time as it pertains to following Jesus. That we don't just serve God with our lips, but he also has all of our treasure that he would ask us for. Amen.